Been at this for a long time. A lot of years. <laughs> Preach it, brother. This isn't even preaching it. It's an observation I want to make. If there's one thing that I've known almost without fail or I've observed almost without fail that God moves upon is when his people are saying holy, holy, holy. Whether you're singing it or you're saying it, maybe it's because it's the cry of the angels in heaven around the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. But when God's people sing or speak out just those words, in Hebrew it's Kadesh, Kadesh, Kadesh. Holy, holy, holy. Yeah, it just brings God's presence in. He inhabits the praises of his people, and you could feel that today. And so we were singing about Jesus. That's the bridegroom who was getting married in the song to the bride, which is us. That's a hard concept to get, isn't it? All of us, all the saints of all the ages, we're the bride of Christ. And there's going to be a huge wedding feast someday in the future. So we got to sing about Jesus. And now today, I love to preach no matter what portion of the Word of God I'm preaching on. But there's nothing as special as getting to just preach about Jesus. And that's what this message focuses on today is the the person of Jesus. So we're continuing in our series through Acts. Last week's text was Acts 26, 12 to 18, just six verses. When we ended last week, Paul was well into his defense. He was telling them about his supernatural encounter that he had with Jesus on the road to Damascus. That's Jesus, the dead man. Remember, that's the Jews' description of Jesus, that dead man? Man, when you're wrong, you're wrong. At that encounter between Jesus, thank you, Ron. Brief greeting time. Wait, we might be right back on here. Is it up there? Yeah. Well, let's see. Well, did it change? We're good. No greeting time. Sit back down. Sorry about that. So at this encounter, which we've been talking about a few weeks now, between Jesus and Paul, a number of things occurred. There was supernatural light, more brilliant than the sun. There was the weight of his glory that knocked Paul and his companions to the ground. And just a by the way, do I have your attention? There's no horse mentioned there. How many of you thought he got knocked off a horse? He may have, but you can read in any version, the copy of the text, there's no horse there. That's like... What was the fruit that, Adam, that Eve ate? You look that up and you tell me if that was an apple. What fish swallowed Jonah? Check it out. 
These are things we've added over the years. Eve ate an apple. Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And Paul was knocked off his horse. It's no big deal. But there's no horse mentioned. They were knocked to the ground. Like that little trivia? Little tidbit? Yep. Who was the smallest man in the Bible? Nope. Nehemiah. None of this was in the notes, so I'm not sure where we're going here today. All right, there was a number of things that happened when Paul encountered the living Jesus, not the dead man. And that's the first thing we need to know. He's the living Christ. He is not dead. So there's a supernatural light. They were knocked to the ground by the weight of his glory. There was a supernatural voice. It was Jesus speaking to Paul. Stop kicking against the goads. Remember that from last week? We don't need to go into that again. This is brief review. There was revelation to Paul by God of his God-given life purpose. That was our message last week. That's what we used to bring out the application last week, that all of us have a life purpose given to us by God. It's written before we're even born. Many of us have been late coming on to it. It's fluid. It's not static. It changes. God adjusts it. So it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. There's a plan for you. God has a plan for you, and you can get on it at any time. And if you fall off of it, you can get back on it. So needless to say, this encounter with the living Christ changed Paul's life. He went from being a radical persecutor of Jesus and Jesus' followers and the church to an avid promoter of Jesus, of his followers, and of the church. Paul went from being a fierce enemy of Christ to being a chosen servant of Christ. If you're breathing, that's possible for you. So before we move on, pay attention. I have a thought question. Don't answer it. But I want you to think about it. It's a thought question. Don't answer out loud. Although it may not have been as dramatic as what happened with Paul, here's the question. Have you had an encounter with Jesus, with the true and living Christ? Have you had an encounter with him? It's life-changing Don't take it for granted. Honestly search and say, have I had an encounter with Jesus, with the true and living Christ? It's essential. It's imperative. It's life-changing. If you've had one, your life is changing. If your life's not changing, we need to go back and check and see if we've really had an encounter with Jesus or if we've been somehow given it lip service over the years. If you're unsure, if you have ever encountered Jesus, please see me or talk to somebody that you trust in here who knows the Lord, who has had that encounter. Today, Acts 26, 19 through 23. Lori, 
Come on down. The rest of us will stand on up. We're going to honor God's word together. This is not just filler. This is built in intentionally. We're honoring God's word. Wait till everybody's ready, and then you can read good and loud. It's Acts chapter 26, verses 19 through 23. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Thank you. you may be seated. Thank you, Lori. So today's title is, Make No Mistake About It. Today's message is going to be very short on exegesis, very short on commentary from me, very long on Scripture, very long on God's Word. At the end, as we've been doing, we'll let the, we will allow the Word of God to speak to us. I actually like doing that. Short on commentary from me, long on the Word of God speaking to you. But listen now, God wants to convince us of something today that most of us already know. But God wants to strongly reinforce this truth. Another question for you, not as hard as the last one, or at least not as profound as the last one. Would you like to learn today some theological truth that's going to strengthen your faith? Some theological theological truth that's going to equip you to talk with other folks about Jesus in a more confident way. That's the intention today. So although many of us already know this truth, we may not have ever seen it quite as clearly as I hope to present it today. And this is going to be good stuff. This is theological truth. This is going to be good stuff to put in your arsenal, carry with you from this place. It'll give you an it is written. It'll reinforce your it is written arsenal. Jesus said many times, quotes like this, you err. You are in error because you don't know the scriptures. You can't figure things out. Or you're in this trouble because you don't know the scriptures. We don't want to hear Jesus say that to us. Right? By the end of today, regarding at least this core issue of Christianity, we should be able to say with confidence, make no mistake about it. We know the scriptures. We know this truth. We know what this says. Let's get started. Acts 26, 19 and 20. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, throughout all Judea, also to the Gentiles. 
that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed. What? And prove they have turned to God by the good things they do. You say you have an encounter with Jesus, but your life hasn't changed. There's room for concern. We need to prove that we have turned from our sin. We need to prove that in faith, you're saved by faith, not by works. But we have to prove that we were saved by faith through our works, through our lives, through the things that we do. There has to be a change from who we were before Christ to who we are now after Christ. B.C. and A.D. It starts out, and so. Or some versions say, therefore. This is a connecting word. Whenever you see phrases like this in Scripture, it alerts us that we're going to connect what just was, ha- what just was said or happened to what is just about to be said or happened. It's a connecting word. It joins what just went before to what is about to come. And so, Paul is saying, in light of what I just told you about this encounter with Jesus and receiving this God-given purpose, in light of that, I obeyed that vision. I did what Jesus told me. I preached. That's what he told me to do. I preached first to those in Damascus. That's where he was when it happened. His life changed immediately, by the way. He went from a a primary persecutor to a primary promoter, and he was only saved. And as soon as Ananias healed him, he was preaching to them about Jesus. See, he was telling them what happened. When you have an encounter with Jesus, it changes your life, and you want to tell other people about it. If you're living your life in the private and quiet, you know, I had an encounter with Jesus, but you're not telling others something, there's a short circuit there somewhere. It's a natural reaction when we have an encounter with the true and living Christ to want to tell others. If all of a sudden you found a cure for cancer, would you keep it to yourself? Of course not. If you find anything, if you find a vitamin that works for a certain condition, you're telling everybody about it. But we don't tell anybody about Jesus. But yet we'll tell each other we had a life-changing encounter with him. I preached first to those in Damascus right away. I was on it. Then in Jerusalem, then throughout all Judea, then also to the Gentiles. That was part of the mission. That was part of the purpose. Paul, you'll be preaching to the Jews and the Gentiles. That covers all the people in the world because you're either Jewish or you're a Gentile. If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. I I preached to all of them that they must repent of their sins and turn to God But that's not quite enough. It is. You get saved that way. But true salvation then results in the next line and prove they have changed. Prove they had an encounter with Jesus by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this. They didn't want to hear this. And they tried to kill me. Again, for at least a third time. (laughs) Third time. Sorry about that. Again, for at least a third time. I can't keep that finger down anymore in my old age. For the third time, Paul reiterates that obedience to the command of Jesus is exactly what got him in this trouble. He's in this hot water with the Jews. And we're not cutting them any slack. They were totally, totally, totally wrong. So please don't mishear this. But I do just want to say, remember, these guys that are accusing Paul, 
He was one of them. They, he ran in that crowd. Some of them were over him, and they gave him letters of authority to go and do this. So I'm not cutting any slack, but I just want to think, they see Paul as a traitor. They see Paul as high treason. And that's why they're saying this guy, according to their religious customs, culture, this guy desires, deserves to die. Just like treason to the United States, I think, still carries a death sentence. So that's where they were coming from. We're not excusing them at all, but that's where they were coming from. It's a good reason. It's not a good reason, I mean, but it is a, it is a reason, right? Okay. Paul's response, but God has protected me right up to this present time so that I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. God is incredibly faithful. One person believes that in here, Art. God is incredibly faithful. Paul's saying to this crowd, remember, this is the pomp and circumstance crowd. All the dignitaries are there, King Agrippa, Festus the governor. Paul's saying, hey, listen, the only reason I'm even alive, the only reason I'm even able to stand here and talk to you about this today is because God has protected me. I think some of you can say that. I know some of you. I know what your past lives were like. I know my own past life. There's only one way I'm standing here and you're sitting there. God has protected us. God has brought us to this point. And he's brought us to this point because he has a plan for our lives. That was last week's sermon. And the reason he protected me, Paul speaking, is to do this very thing. That's why he is protecting me. Like, don't you get that? I should be dead. I should have been dead many times. Like the time he was stoned to death. They thought he was dead. And he got up and brushed himself off and went back in and preached again. Or the time that the commander thought the angry mob was actually going to tear him apart limb by limb. Some of them had his legs and some of them had his arms. And God protected him. Or the time he was in the inner dungeon in the Philippian, in uh, Philippi. No food, no water. Hands and feet in stocks with heavy chains. Then the earthquake happened and God delivered him. And God protected him. Many times he should not have survived. By way of application for us. God has spared your life up to this moment. We could all say many times I should have died. I shouldn't even be here. I want to move forward. Has God given you a promise? Has God given you a word? An assignment? Has God given you a ministry call? Whatever? Have no fear, my brothers and sisters. God, who is the most powerful personality, he's not a force, by the way. May the force be with you. That's E.T. That's not God. God is a personality. He's a person. Star Wars? I got my scripture right, but my sci-fi wrong. All right, I'd rather have it that way than the other way. So it was Star, Star Wars, may the force be with you, or whatever that thing is. Have no fear, my brothers and sisters. God, who is the most per- powerful personality in the universe, bar none, will protect you until it's accomplished. Until that word is fulfilled. 
until that assignment is accomplished, until that calling happens, you are protected. Oh, that means nothing, nothing bad at all is going to happen to me. You've been around long enough to know that's not true. But God is going to protect you, and he's going to get her done. Then, after whatever you have right now is accomplished, one of two things will happen. You'll either get another assignment, or he'll take you home. Win-win. To live is to live for Christ. To die is gain. There's no loss here for a believer. Never. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and he would, be, he, would first, he would be the first to rise from the dead, and then in this way he would announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Now we're getting into the crooks of this. We're almost done the exegesis. We're heading to the application. The Messiah. You hear that word a lot. You do realize, don't you? That this whole thing that we've been talking about for three or four weeks, this Paul on trial and everything that's going on here, this whole thing is not about Paul. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's God, through Paul, his chosen servant, trying to convince these people the Jews and the Gentiles gathered there, that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what this whole thing is about. Jesus is the Messiah. That's Hebrew. Jesus is the Savior. That's Greek. Gentiles, Messiah, or Jews, Messiah. Gentile, Savior. He's the promised one. He's God's anointed one. He's the long-awaited one that they had been waiting for. He is, Jesus is, God himself. If you're going to talk effectively to people out there about Jesus, one of the first challenges will be they won't believe that he is God. They'll believe something else about him. But they won't believe that he is God. We need to know he is God. Deity. I and the Father are one. Jesus is God Come in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. So here in this text, Paul's at it again. He's trying yet again to convince them that the scriptures, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, the writings, the history, all the Old Testament scripture that these Jews knew and that the Gentiles were vaguely familiar with, although King Agrippa was very familiar with, all these scriptures point to Jesus just like Jesus said they did. You search the scriptures, you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. You can arguably make this controversial statement. You do not find eternal life in the scriptures. Whoa, pastor, wait, wait, back it up. What did you just say? You do not find eternal life in the scriptures. You find Jesus in the scriptures. And then in Jesus, you find eternal life. 
The scriptures do not save us. Many people know scriptures who are not saved. Many people can quote scripture better than some of us, and they're not saved. They don't know the Lord. Satan can quote scripture. The scriptures do not save us. The scriptures lead us to Jesus, the person, and he saves us. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Now this is eternal life. You you want eternal life? You've been looking in the scriptures for eternal life? This is eternal life. This is the definition of eternal life. That they know you, he's praying to God, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So now does this mean that the scriptures aren't all that important? No, no, no. Man, do not come to that conclusion. Without the scriptures, you'll never find Jesus. Without Jesus, you'll never have eternal life. It still comes down to you do err because you don't know the scriptures. You are greatly diminished, church, believer, because you don't know the scriptures. You can't hold your own against Satan's people because you don't know the scriptures. You got one defense against them. It is written, it is written, it is written. They don't have to believe it, but they can't refute it because it's true. Church, you're so weak and beggarly and being tossed to and fro because you don't know the scriptures. I don't know how many times people have said to me, I don't really talk about my faith because I don't know that much. I can't quote that verse. What if they ask me something I don't know? That's not an excuse. You can tell me that. You can tell somebody else that. But when you stand before Jesus and tell him that, I know I got my own problems when I stand before Jesus, but if you tell him that, I'm taking a step back. There's just something about God, the Lord, Jesus. He doesn't really accept our trade excuses. When people tell me they're going to do this and it's clearly a wrong decision, and they think like telling me it's going to be okay, I'm like, you can tell me anything. Have you told him that's your decision? Have you actually talked it over with Jesus, this decision that makes so much sense to you, earthly speaking? I think I'd want to know what he thinks about that before you do it, before you enter in. That's why people don't come to me anymore. Because they don't want to hear that. They just want to make the decision. So does this mean that Scripture isn't all that important? No. Without Scripture, you'll never find Jesus. And if you don't find Jesus, you've got no eternal life. This is what Paul was trying desperately to tell this crowd. This is the message that he's proclaiming, but they won't have any of it. This is where we're going to stop the exegesis, right here. And we're going to move into a point of application. I want to give you your weekly principle to ponder. It's on the screen. This is what God wants us to think about. The scriptures point to me, Jesus. This is the theological truth I mentioned in the beginning. The scriptures point to me, Jesus. The scriptures point to Jesus. Now we know this. But when we leave here today, we should really know this. There is to be no mistaking this truth. 
we should be able to say, make no mistake about it. We should be able to be convinced ourselves of this. We don't want to err. We want to know the scriptures that point to Jesus. There's going to be a lot of verses today. Most of the verses will contain the word fulfilled. And you'll see how that word relates as we go through the verses. So again, fourth week in a row, or Josh was in there, so it was two weeks. Josh, now two weeks, but four times. Sit back. Let the word of God speak to you. I'm going to go through them slowly. That's what I've been asked to do, not too fast. They're in no particular order of importance. It's not like one of these verses is more important than the other. They're in a random order. They just come one right after another. So you ready? Let the word of God speak. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulon and of Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. Just one comment. It shows how wrong these Jewish religious leaders were trying to kill Paul because he said God wanted to take the gospel to the Gentiles. God made it clear as far back as the prophet Isaiah, 800 years before Christ, that his heart, do you hear me? His heart and his salvation for Jews and Gentiles alike, for all people. Why are they so surprised? And, of course, the great light mentioned in this passage twice is Jesus. This is Jesus speaking. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I, I came to accomplish and fulfill their purpose. The eye is Jesus. You search the scriptures for eternal life. The scriptures point to me. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah who said, He took our sicknesses and he removed our diseases. That he is Jesus. And this verse, although some of us have tried to water it down over the years in the church, this verse connects physical healing with the atonement of Jesus on the cross. There's no escaping it. He forgives all our sins. There's your spiritual healing. He forgives all our diseases. That's physical healing. God hates sickness. God is in the healing business. This fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him. Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him. And he will proclaim justice to the nation, and his name will be the hope of all the world. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. This fulfilled the prophecy of, of Jeremiah that says they took the 30 pieces of silver 
the price at which he was valued by the people of Israel. This is Jesus speaking. Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day. But these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, Jesus, in the synagogue. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Then he began to speak to them. It says much more, but for space's sake, I didn't include it all. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Jesus' words to his disciples. Jesus found a young donkey and he rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's coat. Colt. They have seen everything I did, Jesus speaking, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. This is at the cross. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, Jesus' garments, let's throw dice for it. Throw lots, cast lots. This fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves and they threw dice for my clothing. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him. And in doing this, they fulfilled the prophets' words that are read every Sabbath. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus from the dead. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. For all of God's promises, this is the last one, all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. With a resounding yes, and through Christ, should say, we say amen. Amen? amen. amen. So are you convinced? Amen. The 
The title was Make No Mistake About It. Jesus is the Messiah, Hebrew. He is the Savior, Greek. Jesus is the promised one. He is the long-awaited one. He is Emmanuel, God with us, come in the flesh to save us from our sins. Jesus is the one of whom the scriptures speak, volumes. You can choose not to believe. People you talk to about this can choose not to believe, like the Jews who are after Paul. But you cannot deny it without denying scripture. Remember our point to ponder? The scriptures point to me. And we read the scriptures in many ways and for many reasons. But something to add to your arsenal. When you begin reading, as you are reading scripture, begin looking for Jesus in the scripture. Oftentimes it's very veiled. It doesn't give his name, especially in the Old Testament. They're veiled references. Many of them were veiled references to him. But ask God to open our eyes to see Jesus in the scriptures. Because all the scriptures are about Jesus. This whole thing going on with Paul, it's all about Jesus, not Paul. Not the Jewish religious leaders, not the Roman government. This whole thing is about Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. I'll ask again. Give me another minute or two. Oh, it's only 25 after 10. We're good. I want to ask you again. I'm very serious. Have you met Jesus? Have you had an encounter with the living Christ? And don't just say yes because you've been in the church for 20 years. I want us to think, have you, have I actually met Jesus? That's the life-saving, life-changing encounter. That's eternal life. But I read my Bible and I went to Sunday school. and I was, Have you met Jesus, the true and living Christ, and has he begun to change your life? That's what you need to know. That's what I need to know. And I guess we could add, like Paul, are you obeying that encounter? Are you now following him? Have you had that life-changing encounter with Jesus? For those of you who have, and I know it's many of you, maybe it's all of us. But for those of us who have had that encounter, now we need to get to know him better. Peter said, now grow in the grace and the knowledge, the knowing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, if you haven't, if you're not sure you met him, please see me. Love to talk to you about that. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. The scriptures speak of me. The scriptures point to me. No one comes to the Father, Jesus said, but through me. Stand with me. Yvonne, if you'll come. And everybody... Or Yvonne, wait till we're all settled. Sonny will bring the band up. And when we're all settled, then you pray.
Dear Father, I just thank you for your presence here today. I just thank you, Lord, for the word that we have received through song and your message. I thank you, Lord, that you are powerful. I thank you that you are light. I thank you that you are holy and almighty. And I thank you, Lord, for the grace that washes over us. And we need that often, Lord, and I just thank you for that. And Father, as we go into next week, um, as we prepare to um, speak to others, to meet um, the 100,000 that you're sending our way, um, give us discernment and wisdom into those lives to know what to say. And, and you know, maybe it's an action, maybe it's a word, maybe it's an action. But help us, Lord, to be obedient. Yes, I have had that encounter with you. Mm. And at times, I feel like I haven't been obedient. And I'm sorry, Lord. I want to be obedient. And I pray that for each of us, Lord, mm. that you would give us um, the power, the wisdom, that we can say no to our flesh and be obedient to you. Yes. Mm. Father, I just thank you for each person here. Um, you know our struggles. Uh, you know our weaknesses. I just thank you and praise you that you are with us, that you are powerful, and that we can call in your name wherever we are, whatever we're going through, and help us, Lord, to listen to you and to be obedient. Father, I just thank you so much for this church. I just thank you for the love that is here, and Lord, now help us to love others. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer. In your precious and holy name, amen. Amen. amen.